Welcome to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Native referees fill a vital role for young athletes and local sports fans. Right now in some parts of the country, there's a shortage of Native sports officials, creating a high demand for those in the field. This hour, we'll talk with Native refs about what it takes to succeed in the job, and hear some of the highs and lows of keeping local sports within bounds. We'll hear more about that and take your calls right after the news. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. Tribal groups are gearing up to voice concerns over the Wisconsin Department of Natural Resources draft environmental review of Enbridge's Line 5 relocation project. The DNR is holding a public hearing virtually Wednesday on the review. Since its release in December, tribes and tribal groups have been critical of the review of the project to reroute the oil pipeline across northern Wisconsin. The Great Lakes Indian Fish and Wildlife Commission and tribes say the review is flawed and are raising concerns about oil spills. The Bad River Band of Lake Superior has filed a lawsuit challenging the reroute to protect watershed. Supporters of the project point to jobs and an economic boost. Comments on the draft will be taken through March 4th. The Clark County Commission is expected to consider a resolution Tuesday on the creation of a national monument outside of Searchlight, Nevada. As Suzanne Potter reports, tribes are among those in support of protecting the area. An indigenous-led coalition has been working to establish the 450,000-acre monument since the 1990s. A Swedish wind power company has made an application to build in the area, which has heightened the pressure to move forward on the monument. Craig Bakurgian, campaign manager for the Avikwame Coalition, says the tribes consider the area to be of utmost importance because to them it is hallowed ground. It is the site of creation for the Mojave people, the Fort Mojave Indian tribes view it as one of their most sacred spaces. And 10 other human-speaking tribes view that as a sacred spot. The Boulder City Council and the town advisory boards of Searchlight and Laughlin, plus the Laughlin Tourism Commission and Chamber of Commerce, have already declared their support. Congresswoman Dina Titus and Susie Lee are working on legislation to be introduced later this year. Bakurjian says the idea of a new monument also is supported by a majority of Nevadans. A recent poll found that 70% of Nevadans support the designation of Avikwame as a national monument and to ensure that those spaces are not sold off to corporations. In the same poll, 39% of Nevadans say it's important for officials to prioritize the protection of public lands. The coalition says hikers and off-roaders would still be able to use parts of the monument land. I'm Suzanne Potter. Pueblo leaders in New Mexico are calling for the protection of petroglyphs west of Santa Fe, which were recently vandalized. The All-Pueblo Council of Governors say the area has suffered from years of mismanagement between federal, state, and private oversight, which has led to harm. They're calling for a multi-agency investigation, consultation with tribes, and for action to protect and preserve the area. In January, the Bureau of Land Management found vandalism at the La Senegia petroglyphs, which are up to 8,000 years old. Ten were defaced with graffiti. The BLM is seeking information from the public. 
People who damage cultural sites may be charged with a felony, face prison time, and thousands of dollars in fines. A bill in California requiring state agencies to enhance cooperation between tribes and state and local governments was approved by the state assembly. The measure requiring training of state agencies on tribal government consultation was approved Monday by the assembly with a vote of 70 to 0. Assembly member James Ramos introduced the bill. He says there's often confusion when local and state agencies interact with tribes, including on issues of sovereignty and jurisdiction. Ramos says this can have an impact during emergencies such as wildfires, earthquakes, or amid the pandemic. The measure also enhances the consultation system with the executive branch of the state. The bill has the support of a number of tribes and now moves to the state Senate for consideration. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. There are now booster recommendations for all three available COVID-19 vaccines in the United States, and you may choose which booster shot you receive. More info at aaip.org or cdc.gov coronavirus who support this show. A Historical Trauma Masterclass, taught by Dr. Ruby Gibson and staff, provides tuition-free online training to tribal members who are therapists, counselors, social workers, and traditional healers. Enrollment deadline is February 21st at freedomlodge.org, who support this show. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Referees are the unsung heroes of the sports world. Those who officiate high school games are rarely in it for the money. They have a knowledge and passion for sports and want to provide a service to their community. They aren't in it for accolades either. When was the last time you heard sports fans yelling compliments for the refs during a game? Native referees fill an important niche. They have cultural understanding, and that makes a difference when Native athletes compete. They know communities and often have rapport with staff and athletes in places they work. We're talking about the importance of recruiting native referees today. We're also getting a look at what it takes to be a ref. Obviously, a thick skin comes in handy, but it also takes strong observation skills and the ability to make quick decisions. What do you want to say about the referees at games where you are? Do you ever express gratitude for the service they provide? We'd like to hear from some sports fans today. The number to join our conversation, 1-800-996-2848. That's 1-800-99-NATIVE. Joining us today from Pine Ridge, South Dakota, is John Long. He's a retired police officer and an official with the South Dakota Activities Association. He is Oglala Lakota. Welcome to Native America Calling, John. And joining us from Belle Plaine, Minnesota, is Amber Sierra. She's a social worker specializing in elders, children, and families, and a basketball official with the Minneapolis Officials Association. She's also Oglala Lakota. Welcome to Native America Calling, Amber. Oh, thank you for having me. And joining us from Tuba City, Arizona, is Neil Yazzie. He's the Area Commissioner of Officials for the Arizona Interscholastic Association, 
Navajo and Hopi reservations. Welcome to Native America Calling, Neil. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Good morning, Native world. Well, it's great to have all of you folks, our referees, on the air today. And uh, I'm on the shot clock, so let's get the show started. John, I'd like to start with you. The life of a referee, it seems like a really tough grind. And I think so often fans, athletes, and coaches, we take you folks in the striped shirts for granted. No one gives you credit when you make a good call, but one bad call, (laughs) it's like everybody's all over you. So why do you referee, John? Why work a job that, to a casual observer, seems like it might be really thankless? Well, it might sound simple enough, but I do it uh, for the kids. You know, I enjoy what I do. I've only been doing it for four years, but uh, I truly enjoy uh, officiating basketball at the high school level, especially on the reservation. Now, John, I understand you are retired law enforcement. So when did you get into the ref business? I, I got into the officiating business in 2017, and it's kind of funny, actually, because uh, the other guest, Amber, is the one that kind of pushed me in the direction of officiating. And did you know what you were getting into? I mean, were there some big surprises that you didn't expect once you got out there on the court? No, you see, you see it from a different perspective as an official. You know, I mean, I I grew up on the reservation my whole life and, and played basketball uh, in an independent circuit and junior high and high school level to an extent. But uh, you see it differently when you get out on the floor. You, you know, it's just um, it's a different animal when you're actually wearing the stripes and, and officiating a high school basketball game. It seems to me like the rules, you've really got to know them. You've got to really be able to just watch a game and understand what's going on. seems like there's got to be a pretty steep learning curve. About how long did it take you to become a pretty proficient referee? Well, you're right. There are, there are a lot of rules. We have, uh, you know, prior to the season starting, we have online exams and, and uh, rules meetings that we have to attend by the state association. Um, you go up another level to be certified. You have to take a closed book test. Uh, but I don't think you ever really – proficient i think you're always wanting to improve um you know i just had a game last night here on the reservation and uh we pre-game before the game even at halftime we talk about you know things that we could be doing better so um i don't think you ever want to get comfortable where you're at you know there's definitely room for improvement after each game sure i understand now as i understand you work as part of an officiating crew how does that work it depends. Um, I'm part of the, a conference here on the western side of the state, and being part of that conference, the games are scheduled for us. So they'll assign myself and two other officials and then give us the date and location where we're going to be officiating the game. And then I also work directly with some athletic directors in different schools, and they'll they'll reach out to the officials directly if they're not part of a conference. So it just depends, and, and the schedule's still up pretty quick. Um, and you just go with, with the games that you got. Now, John, as a Native American ref, you ref a lot of Native games, high school games. I think you've done some tribal colleges as well. Do you think as a Native American referee, uh, you have a, a different experience there on the court than a non-Native ref would? 
Yeah, I, I think to an extent, um, you know, because we know the communities, we know the fans, we know the players. Um, I think the, the native refs are, are, I guess, a little more understanding of how the crowds are. Uh, some of the non-native officials that come onto the reservation who've never officiated on the reservation um, are, I guess, a little more apprehensive as far as not understanding, you know, the community and the dynamics of each reservation. But um, it doesn't make it any easier. You know, we still face the same criticisms um, and things like that. So, What are some of the criticisms that you face out there on the court? Just the general, you know, rules violations. You know, we all um, try to do our best every game and, and depending on the contest. But, um, you know, it's also uh, folks in the stands, you know, don't like, you know, certain calls or or complain that we're not being consistent on one end of the floor to the other. It's just things that we, we deal with. You, you try to just block them out and focus on the game itself and not necessarily to what the fans are saying. Um, you know, but it's something that's there. You know, it's something that you can hear, you know, on other live streams and things like that. I mean, uh, especially with um, home games that are tightly cont- contested or if you have rivalries on the reservation like we do here. I'm sure every, every reservation has rivalry games, but, um, <laughs> you know, and, and it goes far back as is, is, um, doing a game in Pine Ridge and have another reservation school, you know, you'll hear the criticism, oh, you're just taking up for them because you're from Pine Ridge or you're from one of the districts. So it's just things that we deal with during the course of the game, but, you know, you try to block it out and just do the best you can. Well, I can understand that and. Yeah, so many Native communities, we have these long-standing rivalries among schools. And I, I could, yeah, thanks for sharing. And anybody who's ever spent any time on YouTube uh, looking at videos of sports fans behaving badly can attest to some of the, the abuse that's certainly hurtled at referees. And so I really feel for you folks out there on the courts, on the fields, on the wrestling mats, uh, wherever they are officiating sports. And John, when I think of a game... It's easy to understand what's in it for most people. I mean, I, I think coaches, they want to win. They want to see their players improve. Uh, as players, the kids, they want to reach their goals. They want to win games. And, and parents, of course, want to see their kids excel, and they want to see them having fun. But what about for a referee? And when that buzzer rings, it's time for you to go home. What makes for a perfect game from a referee's perspective? Just, you know, after the game's over and, and we have a post-game talk on, on some of the things that happened and if, if the uh, issues that we discussed are minimal and you feel pretty confident in how you officiated the game, I think that for me personally, I think that's kind of what I look to. Um, you know, even before each game, if, if I'm working a game with more seasoned officials, you know, I make it known, hey, if there's stuff that you see I can work on or improve, you know, by all means, let me know. Uh, you got to be open to that type of uh, – um, offering on the other officials part, you know, there's officials out there who, who don't want to, you know, be, uh, have their flaws pointed out or, or have the mistakes pointed out. But, you know, me personally, I, I want to hear that stuff because ultimately at the end of the day, if I be a better official, you know, the game's going to benefit and the kids are going to benefit. Okay. Well, John, as I understand it, there's currently a real shortage of native refs up there in South Dakota. Can you talk about that? 
There is, there is, um, and it's not necessarily even just a native ref. Statewide, we're we're really short, but uh, as far as Indian country, you know, I can count uh, Pioneers specifically. We've probably got six or seven registered officials. Uh, We've got other officials to do the junior high and elementary type games, but as far as at the high school level, you know, there aren't very many. I think there's actually, on the reservation, I think there's three of us who are actually certified as a, as an official. And that, what that entails, it allows us to do postseason games. So, you know, anytime I get an opportunity, if I'm talking to a uh, younger gentleman or, or a lady and try to encourage them to, to go, um, a lot of the times they just, they won't do it. They don't, they don't want to deal with some of the stuff that we deal with. About how many games a week do you ref, John? It kind of depends on your schedule. Um, this week, for instance, I'm going to end up doing six games. So it'll be a pretty busy week for me. I think Wednesday is the only day I have off. But um, it just kind of depends, you know, on each official, on, on what you want your workload to be. A um, couple of the games I'm taking this week, because we're so short, uh, guys have dropped out for various reasons, some of it COVID, some of it personal reasons. So our coordinators will reach out and say, you know, can you take this game? And so that's what I did this week. I ended up picking up three games because other officials either dropped out or unavailable. Okay, well, six games in one week. That sounds like a really busy schedule. I'm sure you miss a lot of dinners at home with your family. Folks, we are talking today with native referees. We've got a couple of referees up in the Great Plains area. We have one in the Southwest, and we're just getting the conversation started. So please give us a call if you have any questions or comments for a native referee on the air today. 1-800-996-2848. We'll be back right after break. Barbecue is one of the signature foods of the South. You might be surprised to learn its roots are in native traditions, mixed with both African-American and European influences. We'll hear about native influences on what grew into African-American cuisine. That's on the next Native America Calling. The Association of American Indian Physicians and the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention remind you there are now booster recommendations for all three available COVID-19 vaccines in the United States. You may choose which COVID-19 vaccine you receive as a booster shot. Getting the COVID-19 vaccination protects you, your family, and your community. More information at aaip.org or cdc.gov coronavirus who support this show. You're listening to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Today we're hearing from Native referees about the skills and temperament it takes to succeed in their line of work. We're also getting a behind-the-scenes look at the world of officiating junior high and high school games. We know basketball is an important activity for a lot of Native nations, but there are other sports too. What would these competitions be without officials? Call in with your questions or comments. The number one 800 996 2848. Before we went to break, we were talking with John Long. He's a referee up in Pine Ridge, South Dakota. And John, there's a question that I have always wanted to ask a ref, and this is finally my chance, so I'm just going to go ahead and ask it. Do you ever make a really bad call and then wish you could just take it back? 
Um, no, I try not to. I, I try to do the best I can. Um, I wouldn't say a bad call necessarily, but probably maybe some embarrassing moments. But no, not really a bad call. At least not in my eyes, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> he never makes a mistake. You heard it here, folks. <laughs> Well, I imagine to be a referee, you've got to be able to stand firm in your convictions for sure. John, let's talk a little bit about the game of basketball and how it's a little bit different in a lot of Native communities. And back in 2013, the Schimmel sisters led the University of Louisville to the women's NCAA championship game. And in the process, they put what we commonly refer to as res ball on the national stage. Can you explain for our listeners who might not be as basketball savvy as others, what exactly is res ball from a referee's perspective? Nonstop. Lack of a better word, nonstop. I mean, it's up and down the floor, pushing the ball, um, you know, basically fast break. Uh, we prefer, we kind of look at it as organized chaos. <laughs> organized chaos. So, as a referee, what do you have to be attentive to when calling a game where res ball is the strategy of choice? Oh, just pay attention, you know, a little, little more than, you know, there's not really, uh, I guess, uh, half court as much as there is in, in uh, off-reservation schools, but there are a lot of off-reservation schools that are docking or, or taking up that type of res ball mentality with the, with the motion offenses and things, but just be more tentative to, to the contact and the defense that, that the Reds teams play because they play a lot of pressure defense. They play a lot of presses. So it just, you know, it forces us to be a little more fine-tuned as far as looking for fouls and looking for contact. Okay. And are you seeing res ball being adopted, like even like at the college level after the Schimmels made such a big splash with it? It, it depends, and, and yes, I mean, I don't know if they, they term it as res ball when they're doing it, but it seems to be kind of the the uh, trending, I guess, pace of play that, that most schools are playing right now, and I think it's just a, a quicker pace game, you know, um, and it forces the defenses to work a lot harder. Okay, well, fast-paced, action-packed, that's res ball for you. Let's bring Amber Sierra into the conversation now, and she's based in Minnesota. Amber, I understand you've been refing uh, for over 10 years. What got you into being a sports official? Um, great question. Uh, first of all, thank you all for having me, and thank John for uh, inviting me and bringing me on as well. Um, I got into officiating because the South Dakota High School Activity Association had a officials project that they were um, utilizing to recruit more officials and my women's basketball coach at the time had said hey do you want to officiate and I said no originally and then she said well if you want to we're having this jamboree and here's the location and the time and she encouraged me to come over so I showed up and that's how I became an official. So is this like a basketball jamboree or an officials jamboree? It was an officials jamboree. It's kind of like a camp, so to speak. It's it's just a day uh, where you meet with veteran officials who can kind of show you the ropes and the basics that you need to know to be an official. 
Amber, what's your favorite part of the job of being a referee? Oh, that's also a good question. Uh, I think my favorite part is just being out on the floor with the kids and the coaches, the entire atmosphere. Now, as a woman, you referee both uh, boys and girls basketball, right? Yes. Do you find that people treat you differently ever because you're a woman? Absolutely. Is in a good way or a bad way? It can be both. I will say there's a positive side to it. Uh, there's also a negative side. Uh, positively, I've had people who um, have thanked me for officiating or recognize that uh, I'm a Indigenous woman who's officiating, and that's rare. So they recognize that and will, will openly have discussions with me. Uh, and another positive is I've also had young women come to me and ask how I got started because they're interested. And so there's always that uh, encouragement there. I try to encourage them to apply or walk them through the steps. Um, and then the negative aspect is um, could range from anything, but a lot of, I think, verbal abuse comes to mind. Sure. Yeah, I can understand. So, Amber, I'm curious, when you're out there on the court and you hear the heckling, you hear the fans yelling and they're not happy with maybe a call you've made, how do you just stay focused on the game? You know, that has has uh, taken some work. Uh, I've had mentors over the years, um, along with other uh, officials, who have kind of showed me what their tools are that they utilize. Uh, but the tool that I use uh, on the court is self-talk. Uh, so I do a lot of self-talk, reminding myself to focus on the game, uh, focus on individual plays, individual players, uh, ensuring that players are in legal guarding positions. So that's kind of how uh, I stay in it. Okay. Do you still play basketball yourself? I don't. Well, we got to get you back out on the court. <laughs> <laughs> Amber, how do you get assigned games? Like, where do you when? How do you know where you're gonna where you're gonna ref and when? Well, here in Minnesota, uh, we are we pick out which association we want to apply for, and we're part of the association. And then uh, assigners assign us games, um, and we we usually get to choose like how many miles we get to drive, uh, and that sort of thing. And then. Uh, Assigners give us our games and tell us where we're going to be and all of that. Who's going to be officiating with us? Now, do you work as part of a crew as well? Uh, yes. Um, I don't have a particular crew uh, because out here in our association, we can work with anyone at any given time. There's not set crews. But when I was officiating in South Dakota, uh, we did. There were some schools that we went to that we got to choose our own crews. Okay. Now, have you ever thought about getting into officiating other sports besides basketball? I did actually. I was just thinking uh, last year. I started thinking maybe I wanted to try uh, fast pitch softball. Fast pitch is huge out here, 
in Minnesota. And then um, I was also interested in football after I seen the woman official who was officiating in uh, the NFL. So that was interesting. I haven't done it yet, though. Football, softball, you just be like a, a three-way referee, awesome person there. It'd be pretty cool. <laughs> Herbert, I, I know a few years ago, unfortunately, you did have uh, a really negative experience with a fan who's actually a tribal official. Um, what do you do when you get into situations like that where you have fans that are just crossing the line and, and just getting over the top? You know, I think for me that incident was a huge learning experience in the way that I deal with games. Um, it really has helped me to develop my own uh, – well, for one, you have to have tough skin, as you stated earlier in the show. Um, but it also helped me to develop a way of processing that situation calmly, collectively, um, but also quickly – and, and just reverting back to what our officials process is. And so I think over time, you know, my skin has gotten tougher over the years. And then uh, on top of that, just remembering that we have a process and a procedure in these games that we have to follow so that we can eliminate those situations. Yeah, certainly. And I think sometimes people think like these refs are, are biased and it doesn't seem like it really would make a lot of sense for a ref to be biased would it i mean like it just seems like a big hassle to try and make bad calls intentionally to benefit one i mean maybe you could get away with it once or twice but it doesn't seem like it seems like a weird passive aggressive way to uh try and support a team maybe um I think that's an interesting statement because realistically people have bias. I think that's the real, realization uh, across the board. But uh, if we're following the rules, if we're following what we're being taught in our officials meetings and our camps, um, that alleviates some of that bias. At least I hope. I trust that it does because for me, uh, being able to sit in a room of, of officials and debate calls and games, watch video uh, even watching video of myself and being able to critique myself, um, that helps me to understand where I can get better. Um, I, I also know many officials who have been doing this for 20-plus years who continue to watch video and critique themselves. And, and we all try to, at least the ones that I work with, uh, we all try to continue to get better and improve our game so that these kids can have a good game, so that these kids can have... Uh, feel like they're having a fair and just experience. Yeah, I think it's really important to stress that it, at the end of the day, it's all about the kids. And Amber, I'm thinking you must be kind of an interesting person to watch a game with as a fan. You're probably analyzing <laughs> all the technical aspects of the game from a referee's perspective. Maybe not a super exciting sports fan to be around. I don't know. Oh, my friends will tell you, maybe even family members will tell you that I sit in the stands and say, do not ask me any questions about the call of the game. And I purposely <laughs> do not pay attention to the game so that when they ask me, I can say, I don't know. It looks like they have the best view from where they're at. 
<laughs> well, there you go. You've heard it from a referee on Native America Calling Live. Folks, let's head down south for another perspective of what it's like to be a Native referee. We have Neil Yazi. He's the Area Commissioner of Officials for the Arizona Interscholastic Association for Navajo and Hopi Reservations. Neil, are you encountering the same types of issues that John and Amber have talked about down in Navajo and Hopi country? Absolutely. Absolutely, we are. And uh, what types of experiences would you like to share with our listeners today from your perspective as a referee? Um, well, in order to become an official, um, I guess from our standpoint, the way we look at it is, you know, we need to mold um, our officials into becoming um, knowledgeable in rules. Um, everybody's good in rules by just sitting on the couch and watching basketball and but being in the stands and seeing things that transpire and take place you know fans have their opinions but as, as officials and doing the things that we do per prospectively to you know be ready and engage into the ball game we need to also be aware of you know our situations that transpire before us in situations that occur neil how long have you been a ref uh, <laughs> um in number of years with the association that I'm involved with in Arizona, it's 18 years. But uh, my father was an official, uh, and he used to have basketball tournaments that he used to put on for Christmas. And I think as I regulate to, you know, just thinking about when I was first put on the basketball court as an official, I probably was like 13 years old. So you were calling games as a 13-year-old, were those players at the time older than you? Absolutely. This was the men's tournament, so <laughs> it, <laughs> it was tough. It was tough. Boy, talk about the school of hard knocks there. Neil, what about, I mean, as a basketball ref, especially, it's such a fast-paced game, zipping up and down the court. Do refs have to take a physical fitness test? Um, no, but we do require that, you know, we, we ask our officials to, you know, maintain, you know, a healthy living style, eat well, try to get into some physical shape. You know, we, 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 we are the, like the focus spotlight out there. Cause if you see an official that is unable to get up and down the court, you know, that if fan, from a fan perspective, it becomes, you know, a negative aspect to it. But, you know, unfortunately, you know, we, we try to do the best that we can. And, you know, we do all, we all have to live our daily lives, you know, whether, you know, we have a general job or family to take care of. Um, it's, it's, it's a tough, it's a tough situation. Well, speaking of that, you know, having a, a day job and everything, I'm curious, what kind of money can a, a high school referee conceivably make during this, during a basketball season? Uh, depends on how many games you get in, you know, of course, you know, each state association has their game fees that is set by the, you know, school associations. Um, you know, you know, if you work every night, according to like, you know, what the, um, um, what the first caller had mentioned about is, you know, he's working six games out of the night, you know, you could, you could probably bring in, you know, a good chunk of change, but, you know, just being away from family and all that, you know, you know, it doesn't really, you know, add up to the time that you can spend at home as well. 
Well, it sounds like it's definitely a labor of love. Now, I imagine you've you've been a player. Have you coached basketball as well? Yes, I have. I've coached um, here in Tuba City uh, for 11 years. And um, I went to a lot of rules meeting with my father here in Tuba City when they had their rules meeting tests that were given to the officials. I've also taken that. So I had a lot of knowledge as, uh, as far as a coach of understanding rules. Well, folks, today we are talking basketball, we're talking sports, we're talking officiating, and we have some native referees on the show. We've got John Long up in Pine Ridge, South Dakota. We've got Amber Sierra in Minnesota, and we've got Neil Yazzie. He's in Arizona, and we're just getting the conversation rolling, learning about res ball, learning about officiating. If you've got any questions or comments for the show, please give us a call. The number, 1-800-996-2848. We want to hear from you. Sports fans, call in. I'm Sean Spruce. We'll be back after the break. Support by the American Indian College Fund. The American Indian College Fund provides millions of dollars of scholarships to thousands of Native students every year. Tribal citizens of every age and experience are eligible. Scholarship applications are now open for the upcoming school year at collegefund.org. That's collegefund.org or by phone at 800-766-FUND. Education is the answer. This is Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. We're learning about the need for Native referees in the local sports world and the skills it takes to be a good ref. What do you want to say about referees in your community? When was the last time you thanked a referee? Well, now's your chance. Give us a call, 1-800-996-2848. Let's go to the phones. We have Wilbur listening in Arizona on KUYI. Wilbur, you're on Native America Calling. Yes. Thanks for having me. You bet, Wilbur. Hello. Hello. We can hear you, Wilbur. Okay. Well, um, what I'm, I was really appreciative of finding someone bringing this issue up with the Native uh, referees, and it's good that that it's it's on the air and just few comments that um are i think positive for the love of our native um referees that are coming forth and when i started there there was very few limited uh officials uh on the floor and both on the football field and uh on the basketball field but i did both both football and basketball, probably maybe about 35-plus years. I even uh, appreciated when Neil Yazzie was playing basketball and uh, coaching at Tuber City High School. So it, it brings a lot of uh, uh, support to, to the young kids, and that's what I, I mainly did is support the young kids of fairness, competitiveness, and I saw a lot of those Native American kids play and both on and off the field. I played collegiate and high school basketball and football too. So I just brought that on onto the onto the courts with with the officiating that I did. 
Well, Wilbur, sounds like you've got a lot of experience both on the court and the field and really appreciate those comments. Thank you so much. And Neil, sounds like you've got a fan down there in Wilbur. What do you think of that? Yeah, Wilbur is a guy that, you know, he was a, a great official with my dad, um, did his studying, did the things he needed to do both on and off the, uh, the field. Um, I played with his son, so him and his son, um, Kevin Maho, is, uh, we go back, long back, playing together in, this, in sports for football and basketball. So, you know, those guys, you know, attributed to a lot of my, you know, upbringing and learning of officiating. Um, and just giving back to the, the community, the kids, you know, and it's probably the biggest thing that we look at um, as far as our aspect. Without us being on the floor, you know, these, these student athletes would not have any officials on the floor to have a contest. Boy, that is really the truth. There, without the refs, there is no game. Now, earlier in the show, Neil, we were talking with John Long up in South Dakota, and he talked about res ball. And is res ball exclusive to the Great Plains and Pacific Northwest, or do you see a lot of res ball down there in Arizona too? Absolutely, absolutely. It's tenacious, fast pace, high energy. The enthusiasm's there, you know, with with the crowd being involved in it. You know, it, the atmosphere is just, you know, blow, is just blown out of the roof. So, you know, people are into it. The fans are very supportive in within their watching their you know their child the student athletes relatives play it's 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 very tenacious here on the reservation as well okay res ball south dakota minnesota oregon arizona it's all over indian country folks we've got another caller we have steve listening in rosebud south dakota on K-O-Y-A. Steve, you're on Native America Calling. Oh, thank you. Good, good afternoon, everybody. Uh, my question was, what do you get paid? you get paid by the game or and then the other thing for encouragement? Uh, do the refs get any kind of uh, benefits as far as health insurance, stuff like that? Encouraging Steve, to, thanks for those questions. Um. Yeah, let's go ahead and ask Neil again. I know you mentioned a little bit about the pay, but are you paid on specific game, game-per-game basis, and are there other benefits to being a ref? Well, we're independent contractors, first and foremost, so um, they're, the benefits of you know, like getting health insurance and so forth is covered by us particularly. Um, game, game fee-wise, varsity games, you usually get paid a little higher. Our association just increased their game fees from um, I think it was like $70 to $85 for varsity contests. Um, and so we ha- we did have an increase this year. Um, lower level games, uh, freshman and JV games, uh, we get paid $50 a contest. What about, so I, as I independent contractor, I mean, do you get reimbursements for mileage or uniform cost or anything like that? Well, in, uh, in Arizona, our association pays for mileage, so we get paid for round-trip mileages for where we're coming from in our hometown to the destination we're going to and back home. Um, uniform costs, you know, we, we, we incur all the costs there, but we do use that as a tax write-off at the end of the, at the, end of the year. Okay. 
independent contractor. So we've got John up in South Dakota. John, are you, can you share a little bit more about what kind of money refs are making up there in South Dakota? Sure. Uh, it kind of depends. Uh, we just had a, a call with all officials about a month ago, and one of the, the issues was the pay disparity. And because we have such a shortage of, of officials in the state, uh, what I explained to the director of the High School Activities Association was that it's coming to the point where it's going to be a bidding war, and, and you can kind of see it now. So like I explained earlier, if you're part of a conference, that conference sets their fees. So uh, Black Hills Conference has a specific fee for varsity and junior varsity, and then anyone that's not in the conference basically can pay whatever they want. And um, you see that from different schools, and one of the discussion items was that one school was paying $50 for a varsity game and another school on the Eastern side of the state was paying like 225. So it's kind of, you know, it's kind of becoming getting to the point to where some of the schools aren't paying as much as the other schools. The officials are, are leaning towards those better paying ones because we don't, we don't uh, set the rate the schools do, but at the same time, you know, the gas that's involved, uh, only one official gets mileage for the trip, and so they'll generally carpool. So, you know, the officials, and I don't blame them, you know, are, are taking advantage of, of the best situations for them. Well, that's really interesting, bidding war. And obviously officials are, are, are weighing their options because it sounds like they've got a lot when it comes to getting a, a good paycheck for officiating a game. Amber, how about in Minnesota? What Are you seeing similar pay rates there? Um, similar, yeah. We have, uh, I guess it depends on the school and the size of the school, what they can afford. Um, but for our minimum pay rate, it's anything above $65. So a varsity game can be, so far we've been seeing that the varsity games are about 80 bucks. We don't get mileage here in Minnesota. Uh, so you're just getting the one-time game fee. And then if you do a lower level JV or, well, it, here it's, um, B or ninth grade, it's referred to as different, but uh, we make anywhere from 40 to 50 bucks for those games. Okay, so it sounds like the pay is really pretty widespread depending on what area of the country you're in. Amber, what are some really memorable moments that stick with you as an official? Um, I think... Well, one of the biggest ones that I would like to acknowledge is that in South Dakota, we had at one time eight uh, Native American women officials. Now, that has since gone down. We are, I think we have about five or six, two of them, three of us now in different states. Um, but at, at one time, there was eight Native American women officials, which is huge for us. Um, I'm not sure what the number is here in Minnesota. But that's always exciting to me. Uh, I think that we are very underrepresented, and we really do need more women officials to officiate our girls' games. It it comes down to you know sure. uh, a lot of sense. when we're out on the floor. Um, mm -hmm. Okay. Well, I want to ask Neil because it, it sounds like a lot of these these organizations are, are tribal or regional. But Neil, 
Is there any type of a national organization for Native referees? Um, not that I know of. Uh, you know, it would be nice if there was a, an association that, you know, somebody put together. We do have a national um, um, advisory sports officiating um, member, but that's for all kinds of officials that can enroll into that, but nothing for Native. And what about the need for female referees down in Arizona? Do you see that as well? Absolutely, absolutely, because I see that females, you know, officiating not only girls' games but also boys' games, it's like having a motherly instinct out into the court. (laughs) We always tell these uh, females officials, you know, you be the queen of the court. You're the mother, you know. You know, take control, take command. There, there's a big need for that, and then you know, I think it, you know, just having the native, uh, native officials out on the court, um, you know, gives maybe some aspiring young athletes. You know, I want to be in her shoe one of these days. You know, just being a role model. Queen of the court. Does that describe you, Amber? Um, sure. <laughs> <laughs> Neil, I want to ask you, what are some really memorable moments that stick out for you as a referee? For me, it's seeing a lot of our Native officials um, go into the postseason. Um, it, 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 it warms my heart to see how hard they've worked and, you know, and seeing that our association is recognizing the, you know, the skill level, the talent level, the commitment that and dedication that these officials are getting and being recognized for that, you know, whether it be a regional game in the postseason, a playing game, a state game, um, which could include a quarterfinal, semifinal, or final contest, um, that that brings, you know, like, you know, a, a nice um, feeling that we as veteran officials have done our jobs to get these native officials recognize at a state level. Okay. Now, Neil, let's say I'm a, I'm listening to the show today and I'm interested in being a referee. I've never refed before, but I'm pretty familiar with basketball or maybe football. Uh, about how long would it take a person to get proficient enough to be able to go out there and start calling games? Well, first we, we got to gain the interest <laughs> and that's the hard part is getting the interest of, you know, parents, student athletes that, you know, don't plan to go on to college and want to be remain into, you know, the game. Um, we, we do trainings and we do try to get them to work with mentors that will, you know, help them, you know, develop their officiating skills in certain aspects and then, you know, go from there. You know, it could take – some of them are natural at it. They're very good – rules um knowledge readers and they understand that concrete level and being under the field or the court they understand that concept as well so some will rise faster and some will have some time to take into getting to where they want to be at at where we're at at the varsity level and neil down in your part of the country navajo hopi area where can a person learn more about being a referee uh, we do um, take the um, you know, applicants that we students that have interest um, or parents into our association to reach out to a referee on the court. 
and ask, you know, how 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 can I become an official? Um, we do then, you know, submit names to the supervisors to reach out to these potential candidates that would like to get to it. Last night I was in Conado, Arizona, and we had a security guard that came into our locker room and asked, hey, I, I want to become an official. What steps do I need to take? And what am I getting my, myself into? <laughs> so we went over to the details. We went over to the details and where to go, where to look at. Of course, you know, certain states have criteria measures. In Arizona, you know, the biggest thing that we have is, you know, the fingerprint clearance card. Uh, once they can get that taken care of, your foot's pretty much in the door. You know, you just got to pay your registration fees and, and dues that you need to pay. So, you know, he, he seemed very interested in doing both football and basketball. And, you know, he, he was very, you know, interested in becoming an official in his community. Okay, well, there you go. Just go up to the to a ref after the game and, and ask him about officiating. I, just don't complain about a call, I guess. Just be polite and civil and <laughs> ask him how to get involved with being a referee. John, how about up in South Dakota? Where can somebody go to learn more about being a referee up in your part of the country? There's actually a few different ways. I think the easiest way, what I've told folks that I talk to, is to go to uh, – www.sdhsaa and that's the state activities association website and there's a link on there for officials how to become an official and it'll walk you through uh, like neil said it'll walk you through the application process uh, the fees that are due and it's, it's pretty easy after that they'll notify you by email of the upcoming jamborees like amber mentioned the regional meetings you have to attend a certain number of region meetings uh, as, as part of being an official or, and just reach out to any official. Uh, we're all in the directory. So if you look up the high school website, uh, activities website, we're, we're all in the directory with email, phone numbers. So it's fairly easy. Well, folks, I think I hear that final buzzer, which tells me it's time to wrap up the show. But before we head to the locker room, let me take a moment to thank my guests, Amber Sierra, John Long, and Neil Yazzie for enlightening us on the fast-paced, high-energy world of a native sports official. And don't forget to show some appreciation the next time you see a hardworking referee in action. We're back tomorrow with another awesome live show. We'll be talking about native influences and food that are associated with African-American cultures. We hope you can join us. I'm Sean Spruce. Healthcare.gov, 1-800-318-2596. 
Support by Roswell Park, who know tribal communities face persistent challenges in health equity, such as cancer and higher death rates. The Center for Indigenous Cancer Research at Roswell Park Comprehensive Cancer Center is dedicated to advancing cancer research that will lead to translatable science, medicine, and cancer care for indigenous populations worldwide. Are you at high risk for cancer? A no-charge online assessment tool is available at roswellpark.org assessme. Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico by Kwanak Broadcast Corporation, a native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davis. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.